in the church calendar or in the church flow, we just came out of Easter. And we're moving toward, in this class, as you know, we're going to June the 9th. We're going to have a large celebration about Pentecost, as we've asserted lots of times that apparently Pentecost is the goal of God's activity. Because after Jesus has risen from the dead, he doesn't say sick him. He says, wait, right? Jesus says, now wait until you're clothed with power from the Holy Spirit. And so we're moving in that direction. And so where are we in that progress or what can we get get located and so I've said what we want to I want to deal with here in the next couple weeks is the realities of the resurrection the realities of the resurrection and giving what is needed giving what is needed in this time so we're going to look at that based on where we should be if you will in the church calendar or an understanding sort of the sweep of a scripture in terms of uh, how we understand the bible so this realities you know reality uh, can be a tough thing to deal with reality. And what the realities are here, we're going to look at in John 20, if you want to turn there, the realities that was what was needed. Um, I remember when we were in seminary several years ago, I'd gone to work one morning and my car was acting up a little bit. It was a little Opal uh, car. I don't think they make them anymore, uh, but it was a little Opal and uh, it, it started having problems and I had to shut it down and then uh, run the last mile to work. Uh, got there on time at UPS. They, did, they frowned upon you being late. And so I came back, got the car started, got it home. And then it started acting up again. And I needed to face the reality that I'm not a mechanic. Although I had not faced that yet. <clears throat> so I go out. I'm out of school now uh, that, uh, during summer. And I decided uh, I would get this car started because all of a sudden it felt like the starter was frozen. And I know enough. I've got a screwdriver right? I have a screwdriver. Uh, So I decided that I would start this car. If it wasn't going to start, I was going to make it start. Now, when I go over to the motor, I notice something's kind of humming. And I thought, well, that's unusual, but I'd never been under the hood. So, you know, maybe that happens all the time. I'm telling you, reality is a tough thing to face. (laughs) And so I get under the hood and then I notice a little thing, it didn't seem real significant to me. I thought, well, I turned it off. There was a little gas on the side of the motor there, <clears throat> kind of going down the side. Just a little bit, not much. And I kept hearing the, hmm. So I had a screwdriver. Remember, I told you that, right? I had a screwdriver. So I decided what I'd do is I would just arc that thing and make it start. Oh, I started something. <clears throat> a fire. I caught my car on fire. <clears throat> it, poof, <coughs> I, I, I thought, this is not supposed to happen. <clears throat> I have a screwdriver. <clears throat> so I run in the house to get some baking soda, and in the interim, called the fire department, <clears throat> and they show up. And they asked me what happened. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, I have this screwdriver. <clears throat> I will never forget the look. I thought they were going to take me to jail. When I told him what happened, he went, what? Uh, that was a hard lesson to learn, <clears throat> the, the, the reality of that. And then, of course, I said, Becky, uh, your car got caught on fire today. <laughs> she had to ride the bus to the University of Kentucky every day to work after that. It was terrible. <clears throat> reality. What are the realities? In, in John chapter 20, 
I want you to look at this with me because on this same day that Jesus has been risen from the dead, there are some realities I think we have to face. We have to. We may not want to. We, we may have never taken the time to face them, but we need to face them. And I, I just want to tell you first, the, the very end of this passage we're going to deal with next week. I told Becky, I've just pulled off of this because there's too much material here. Uh, and so in John chapter 20, verse 19, uh, the same day that Mary had seen Jesus in the tomb area, like we saw last week, it says these words. So here it is, uh, verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, and stood in their midst, Jesus stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. And if you remit or retain or retain the sins of any, they're retained. Now, there's some interesting things here I'd like to look at and discuss over the next little bit of time on these realities. Now, think about it again. This is the, the same day that Mary has seen Jesus uh, in the tomb area and has uh, 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 brought the word back, he's alive. The disciples are back in this room, and they're worried and fearful. And Jesus shows up. Uh, somebody asked me this last week. I think that what we're dealing with here is what we might suggest is his glorified body. Now, I said last week, and I, I, this is kind of a staggering thought, but I think it's true, that Jesus as the second member of the Trinity is forever associated with the human body. Think about that now. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, is forever associated with a human body, a glorified body. If you look at this, go look at 1 John 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 later. Don't do it now. I'm talking. First, <laughs> John 3, what he says, Brethren, now we are the children of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be as he is. There's a lot of discussion about this in the Bible, that we will have a glorified body. The bodily resurrection is a big deal in, in Christianity. It's not we're all going to be a bunch of you know, spirits floating around playing harps. I don't know necessarily what that's going to look like. I'm hoping I'm 25. <laughs> Just thinking. <clears throat> I'm hoping I'm 25. But the idea of this associated glorified body, Jesus appears behind locked doors, here, so there's something you ought to just consider. And what the reality here is, I think, it begins with this, and that's it, is what they needed to hear, the first reality. What they needed to hear. This is a picture here, if you will, of the uh, family members and others. You may have remembered last uh, June uh, when 13 people, 12 boys and a coach were trapped in a cave in Thailand. And uh, the whole world watched as the world tried to figure out, how are we going to get these boys out? And uh, you, I'm sure you did. It was in the Chiang Rai region uh, where 13 were alive and found uh, uh, in, in refuge in this particular part of the cave. And after in days of intense rain, a group of uh, Navy SEALs and foreign specialists were able to push through here to find the soccer team. And when the word came out, this is a picture of some of the family members. They needed to hear that, right? What they needed to hear 
was that our kids are alive. Now, we all know that that wasn't the end of the story. Now the great question was, how are we going to get them out? How is that? And what, a, what an incredible story. Uh, here we see in this story, the reality, I think, is that we see, first of all, is what these people needed to hear. What they need to hear. Look what Jesus said. Peace be with you. Now think about it. They're scared out of their minds. They're running from the religious leaders. I, I just made, made, made some notes here where Jesus comes here to this place and he says, peace be with you. This word in Hebrew, it's Irene. If you know anybody named Irene, that's a derivative of that name. Irene, Irene. Shalom in Hebrew, which is likely the term that was used there. It means peace, rest. It means tranquility. Think about these guys. Have these guys known any tranquility in the last 24 hours? None. Here are men and people, ladies as well, who were, if you will, devastated by the news of Jesus' death. Here they're thinking, hey, this guy was going to redeem Israel. If you, if you study uh, this uh, matter in the Gospels, you'll realize how distraught they are. And it says here, he says, peace be with you. I, when I looked at that, I thought, that's interesting, because if you translate that in Hebrew, uh, generally uh, the... Uh, uh, um, um, greetings that are, are given are generally just shalom, peace to you. Uh, or it's sometimes uh, another derivative of shalom. But this one here is the derivative, peace be with you. Now, I want to draw a little attention to that. Because when I read that, I wrote this in my notes. When Jesus said, peace be with them, they said, yeah. Because somebody's with them now. Peace is with them. Jesus. Look at that. Peace be with you. And I want to suggest to you that that, that preposition there suggests something about the fact that peace is with Th Think about it. You, you thought he died. You thought he's gone. You thought everything's over. And all of a sudden, he shows up. Peace is with them for a couple reasons. Notice here it says, and when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples rejoiced. Why, why would he do that? Because they might think he's what? Ghost, right? Marty talked about that last week in his sermon, ghost. It comes from the German word geist, which means spirit. But he's not a ghost. He's a spirit here, or he's a, in a body. So he's peace with them as Jesus shows him that he's real. He's not a ghost. This is not some apparition that they've seen. This isn't some mass hallucination. This is really a person who's right there with them. Peace be with you. And I'm saying, yeah, it is. <laughs> He's right here. Remember the series we did after Christmas? We said that we were looking at the now what? Because Emmanuel, Jesus' name means what? God with us. Here he is with them again. This is an extension of Emmanuel, God with us. So, so peace with them as Jesus shows himself as real, not a ghost. He immediately shows them his hands and his side. Peace with them as Jesus as he shows them his victory over death. Think about that. Jesus says, peace be with you. Not only that I'm not a ghost here, but you can have some peace in your life because I am victorious over death and Hades. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But this idea here, there's peace with them now 
There is now no longer the fear of death. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Jesus became like us in every way that he might deliver those who through the fear of death lived in fear all their lives. Hebrews chapter 2. That he is, there is peace here because of his victory over death and Hades. What else? Peace with them. And this is the one I'd like to spend a little bit of time on. Peace with them as Jesus' presence shows his love and commitment to them. Peace as Jesus shows his love and commitment to them. I thought, <laughs> um, what would you have said had these guys all deserted you? <laughs> what would the first thing would have said? I would have said, hey, hey, I told you guys, <laughs> you weren't listening. That's what, that's what I say to students, right? <laughs> you weren't listening. You didn't read the syllabus, right? I'm going to teach you something here, <clears throat> right? No, no. Or, 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 or here, here Jesus in his presence with this clarity would say, not only I told you so, but why didn't you believe me? Doesn't do that. I, I think his, his statement here shows his love and commitment to these failed disciples. Can you imagine that? I mean, I think this would have been a, as a teacher, a great teaching moment. You could teach them about the resurrection. You could talk about all kinds of things. You could tell them how they've blown it. You could tell them how in the future you need to trust me. You could tell them about here's where you went wrong. Instead, he just says, peace is with you. Peace is with you. I, I, I just kind of reflected on that thought. Again, <clears throat> our natural tendency might be to correct them or teach them or train them. But here's the nature of Jesus. And I, Maybe you think about this. He is totally other-centered. He, he, he is totally other-centered. He says, this is what these guys need. They need peace. They, they, they need to know peace is with them in my presence. I'm here with them. I'm here to be their peace. It's not peace is going to come or peace I'm going to hand you as a commodity. It is peace with you right now. Maybe, maybe Jesus, did, I don't know. Uh, there's, a, there's a concept or an idea. And Becky taught this to me the hard way. <laughs> Generally, again, when people talk to me, and they don't usually talk to me, they usually mostly listen to me. <laughs> Somebody said, they were talking to Cliff. They said, do you mean that or was Cliff talking? You know? <laughs> Becky taught me this, that when, when people are talking, that sometimes instead of trying to teach them or trying to help them, I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to, to say, well, here's what you could do to fix that. You know, it, you know, when I do this, it hurts. I say, well, we'll stop it. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, a lot of help, a lot of help. Uh, <clears throat> you know, my caring comes out in teaching or try to instruct or to help you. Let's fix this. But Becky said to me, and we learned one day, there's a thing called attunement. You ever heard of this? Attunement. Attunement is whenever, you know, when I used to be in the band, I played an instrument. I wanted to play the uh, trumpet, and my dad said, too loud. So he made me play the clarinet with all the girls. <clears throat> it was tragic. I used to break my reeds every day, my band director. I don't have any reeds. He'd say, go to study hall. I'd say, okay. So <clears throat> Pete Fountain and I never really got going there. Uh, but, but we had a machine that whenever we were playing a, our instruments to get them in tune, there was, you'd play, and there's a machine, and it, it, are you in tune? We, we're tuning up. 
You know, when people are having problems, attunement says, I'm sorry you're having that. Or attunement might say, is there anything I can do to help? To not attune is to say, well, you know, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. <laughs> That's not attuning. <laughs> Trust me, okay? Or, you know, I know it's bad, but boy, there are lots of people that have a lot worse than you do. You should be thankful. That's not attuning. What? Attunement means I'm, I'm going to enter into your world and do my very best to recognize where you are and tune up. See, see I think Jesus is tuning up with these guys. I mean, sure, do they need to know they blew it? Well, at some point. Do, do they need to face the fact that, that they need to trust him? Okay, at some point. Not now. Not now. They're broken. They're hurting. And they're in the midst of needing something that brings peace to their life. And it's here Jesus standing in their midst. Here's what I ask you to think about this week. That peace is not a commodity or an emotional state. Peace is a person. If you look at that, you can go read Ephesians 2.14 later where it says, Jesus, who is our peace. Some of us are looking for peace. We're wanting it to be with us, but we're trying to find some emotional state or trying to find some state of mind instead of saying, maybe what I ought to do is look to Jesus and pursue him. Peace is not the result of my circumstances. It's not the result of me having some emotional state or achieving some sense of balance. It, it is in fact when I know that peace is with me in the person of Jesus. So here's what I'd like for you to consider, at least in this respect. What if this week you did not seek to have peace in your life, but sought Jesus in your life? What would that change look like? What, what if this week you didn't seek peace, you, you know, weren't pursuing that, but you said, I'm going to seek to be with Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to seek to spend time with him. How would that look? What, what does that gonna, what's that going to look like in your life? I, I don't know. I can't, can't tell you how that would be. But I can say this, <clears throat> that in this particular case, in this particular circumstance, peace is with them because Jesus is there. What would that look like in your life? What does that look like in my life? What does that seem? This is this reality. This is what they needed to hear. And maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you need to hear the Savior say to you, I'm not here to correct you. I'm not here to, to blame you. I'm, I'm not here to cause all those voices that constantly accuse you of life. I'm here to give you peace. I, I, I'm here to offer you shalom, well-being. And let those other voices settle down and be quiet. And Jesus, who is our peace. Second thing they need to hear, or they need to know. <clears throat> it's what they need to know. <clears throat> Notice here <clears throat> in this passage, <clears throat> this is first what they needed to hear. This is what they need to know. Look at 21. <clears throat> so Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father <clears throat> has sent me, I'm going to send you. Think about it. I mean, again, the sense of failure, the sense of blowing it, the sense of, of, boy, at the moment that we should have stood up for Jesus and we should have been there for him, we weren't. And what does Jesus say? This is what you need to hear from me. Just like the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. And look in that, I'm thinking, 
What's, what's Jesus doing here? Here are men hiding behind the doors, clearly frightened, thinking that they've been a complete failure. Their whole idea of who Jesus is has been destroyed. I mean, they, they, if you go back and read, we'll look at one of these resurrection accounts later in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, the guys are talking, they're saying, we thought this was the guy who was going to redeem Israel. We thought this was the one who was going to deliver us. He's been brutally murdered. He's been taken and put in a grave. And here he comes to them and says, hey, I, w- I want to tell you something. As the Father sent me, I'm about to send you. What an emotional hurricane they had experienced, and it's over. But Jesus is saying to them, your life's not over. You failed, you've blown it, but your life is not over. Is that making sense? Think, think about it. He's recommissioning them. You know, failure is one of those things in our life that, that is a reality, and it, and it causes us to adjust and causes us to think about, what about my life? Do I, do I have anything left? Am I, is there anything I can do that is of any value now that I've blown it so badly? Jesus says, no, um, you're not done. I, 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 when I read that, I just think, oh, God, may that be true for all of our lives. Now, notice how Jesus says, he says, as the Father sent me, I send you also. So it begs the question, uh, how did God send Jesus? Think of this, this idea of as. He sent Jesus as a human being. He sent Jesus to real people who had real problems in real life. He sent Jesus to a particular situation with folks where he could be able to share with them the God that loves them and cares about them. And Jesus is saying, just like I got sent, I'm sending you. It made me question this. What, for all of us, what's your reason for being here? Are you sent or are you just went? (laughs) That's why we say it in East Texas. <laughs> Do you live with a sense of scent or did you just went? <laughs> you just went about your job. You just went about your life. You just went about your circumstances. Or, or is there a sense in which I feel, I sense, I know I'm sent? It might be that you're sent to raise some kids <laughs> that need a, an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Do we live with a sense of sentness? I'm going to college or I'm going to school so that I can prepare myself to be of some help to others in the future. Am I, am I in my retirement? Am I, am I having a sense of being sent that life is not just getting up, reading the paper and doing the things I do, but there's a sense of being sent. Jesus said, I'm sending you. Now they all had different things to do. They all had different ministries and options. It makes me think of Maslow's hierarchy. You know, we all have the need for security. We we, we all have the need uh, for belonging, that we're loved. One of the top highest needs of human beings is a sense of purpose. I know I've talked to people that have had serious illness. And one of the things that I've heard people say is that I'm going to find some purpose in this illness. I'm going to find some purpose here. A purpose to either honor and glorify God 
or to allow God to heal me if he wants to, or allow God to show that his grace is sufficient for strength for me. It's not... It's not people asking God, why is this happening to me? It's saying, God, what can you use me to show you, show others about you? That's a different way of approaching it, isn't it? It's the idea of, am I sent or did I just went? I went through life. I just went through life. I just went to work, and nothing wrong with going to work, but I just went to work. I just used my time. I just worked till I got to a vacation, but I didn't live with a sense of scent. I think we all need that. I always say to Becky, we just had graduation yesterday, and now I'm free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And I still got students sending me emails about their grades. And I will say, Tetelestai, it is finished. <laughs> I always tell them, you can take my class one of two ways. Seriously, you're over. You know, which one will it be? I don't understand this. You know, but we're driving home, you know, and I'm talking to Becky. And this is a common conversation for us. And, and I'm not saying we're, we're spiritual, but, you know, we're, we, it's a constant conversation. I'm saying, are our lives making any difference? Do we live with a sense of sin? Now, I'm not saying you have to be in ministry as a vocation. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to be doing something on a front line. I'm saying if I'm living with a sense of being sent, Jesus said, as my father sent me, I'm sending you. This is, this is not a cruise ship. You know, we used to have an old preacher in the church of God. He said, when you get on the old ship of Zion, it's not a cruise ship. <laughs> well, let's just sit around and eat, enjoy ourselves, Right? But, but, but a sense of being sent. And again, don't get real religious on me here. I'm not talking about that there has been. I'm talking about going to school. I'm talking about raising kids. I'm talking about being a neighbor in the neighborhood. I'm talking about being a positive influence in the office where I live with a sense of sin. God, what have you got for me today? It could be a kind word. It could be to sit down and tell a little kid how God has created them to be something wonderful. It could be that you're the most faithful and conscientious person at the office. It could, it, it could be that, that people look at you and say, you know what, you, you, when you come, you're not griping, and, and my dad would say, belly aching all the time. There's something about you. You're doing something. Now listen, I'm not saying our work doesn't get boring, and you know, I, every once in a while I'm grading papers, I'm, I say, yeah, I'm grading papers, but I'm degrading. In the, I feel like in the Wizard of Oz, I'm melting. <laughs> really, yeah. All the school teachers out there understand me. You guys are going to college. That's how we feel. All right. Yeah. 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 It's terrible. I'm, going, I'm melting. So, uh, but yeah, that's how, that's how professors feel at college, right? You all been to college. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that everything is, you know, just happy and we're just bouncing along in life. But I'll tell you, I think Maslow's right. If you've got security and you have a sense of belonging and you're loved, you got to find that reason I've been sent. I didn't just went. What is it? I didn't just went. I was sent. Now, again, a life of purpose. The, the, these men recognizing that Jesus is saying, now I'm sending you. 
you've blown it, but uh, you're going to make it. It makes me think of a great story. I read this years ago about somebody who had terrible failure. And yet, because of his company and the way they treated him, he had a sense of, you need to know this. That, that even in the midst of your failure, I'm sending you. I can still send you. Tom Watson, you may know, uh, was the CEO at IBM from the years of 1956 to 1970. He was a really key figure in the development of that. I have a funny story. that I, When I was in seminary, I worked at United Parcel Service. It really happened. Now, I'm at 2.30 in the morning moving freight, heavy freight. And I'm on the thing they call it a belt where we split the belt. And I had to push boxes that way and then run with them that way. I'm in Lexington, Kentucky, and I asked a guy one time, we were loading these trailers, it's 2.33 in the morning, and I'm, you know, my brain's not completely engaged. Um, and I looked at this box, and it had this statement on there that said, International Business Machines. And I said to the guy down on my belt, who's that? And he said, IBM, you idiot. <laughs> oh, that's what that means. Yeah. Watson had a junior executive who made some bad decisions, really bad. It's reported that he made a decision that cost IBM $10 million. Now, this is back before 1971. Watson left in 71. So let's just dial back a little bit. Somewhere between 56 and 71, $10 million. That was some real money back then, right? So this young executive is summoned to Watson's office, fully expecting to be dismissed. He cleans out his desk. He puts everything in a little box. He puts it to the side, and he walks into Tom Watson's office and says this, I suppose after that set of mistakes, you're ready to fire me. Watson replied, not at all, young man. We just spent a couple of million dollars educating you. <laughs> Jesus said, we're going to get through this. You know, I wonder, um, these disciples having failed, and they know it, generally two things happen. That's why they need to hear this. One of two, when people fail. We either determine to try harder, or we are now more open to help and instruction and guidance than we've ever been. I think the second one's the best. I think when we have failure, instead of just saying, well, I'll try harder, I'll just burn it up now, I'm going to be more open to instruction and guidance. I've told you this, I still think it's a basic principle of life, that it's our inadequacy that creates our capacity for God to work in our life. It's our inadequacy that creates the capacity for God to work in our life. Because we say, I tried it. It didn't work. I, 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 I went that direction. It, it, it just wasn't going to work. And I think sometimes what failure does, and that's why I think these guys got to hear this. They've got to hear, look, I'm going to send you. you. Your inadequacy, your failure should not disqualify you. It should open you up to be more open for instruction from me and for guidance. So I want to ask you this. I don't have it on the outline there, but have it this. When you feel like you failed, what's your response? Is it just to try harder and think you're the source? Or is it now to be more open to Jesus 
and say to him, send me where you will. Guide me where you will. Which leads me to this third and we'll finish. What they needed to receive. What they needed to hear. What they needed to know. And what they needed to receive. Now watch this. After he said, as the Father sent me, I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. That word there, breath, pneuma, is the same word for spirit or breath. I, I don't know how he did that. Uh, you know, we're not, not completely sure, but there's something here about expelling breath on them. And he knows that what they need now is the Holy Spirit. And we know, <clears throat> again, I want to suggest to you, I, I have said this lots of times, I'll just keep saying it. I am convinced based on the church calendar, based on the way the church understands the New Testament, that the goal of all of God's activity is not just Easter. It's part of it. But the goal of God's activity is Pentecost. Because he told them, you wait. Don't you dare get involved in this yet. You don't have the resources and the equipment. But here, and it's an interesting word, he, uh, the Greek word infuso is the Greek word. It's like he, he, he infused them or he in, enthusiasm. Some have translated, he enthusiasmed them. Strange, strange way Greek works. He, he enthusiasmed. He said, you, he, I'm going to breathe on you the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. What word does he say? Receive. You know what? A lot, a lot of my Christian life was not built around the word Receive. A lot of my Christian life was built around the word achieve. J Jesus said, this is what you need to receive. I've been having this conversation with the Lord lately. Um, and, I, you know, I don't, I'm still wor uh, working on this. I grew up in my tribe, in my tradition, that, that often, at least what I got the impression was, that, it, that until you showed enough effort and enough energy and until you showed enough attention to things, God wasn't going to listen to you. you. You had to prove. I hadn't prayed enough. I wasn't diligent enough. I hadn't studied God's word enough. And so God wasn't going to do anything. Anybody with me? That was sort of the earn it kind of mentality. And I, I've been having this conversation with the Lord for the last several months when I've just said, Lord, I don't believe that can be possible. I, I, and it's still wired up in my head. And I still think, well, if I just prayed more, or I'd read more, or I'd studied more, God would honor that. And, I, and I'm, I'm just saying, I, I've had that conversation with him. Lord, my Christian life has been lived by achieve, not receive. If, listen, if I could make myself holy, I wouldn't need the Holy Spirit, right? If I could do that. If I had the power to live the Christian life, I wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. I could say, hey, I'm good. You know, help somebody else. But I, I sort of dialed into that early in my Christian life. It's not achieve, it's receive. Jesus makes the matter here of the Holy Spirit a matter of receiving, not achieving. It's the word he uses, receive. Lombano is the word, take it. Now, why is John doing this? Because we know in John... In chapter 7, verse 30, you can go back and look at this later. Not now, I'm talking. Oh. <laughs> I like control. No. I'm kidding, you can go read if you want to. I just want y'all Facebook. No. 
John 7, 37, when Jesus says, If any man will come to me, let him drink of the water of life, and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit, who was not yet given because Jesus hadn't been glorified. Hmm, that's back in 7. And we know he told him to wait for the Holy Spirit until Acts. What, what's going on here? I think, and some others believe this, that Jesus is beginning to say to them again, here's what you need. Here's what you need. In order for you to live this life, you've got to receive. The second thing I think he's doing is this. John is doing this. In the Gospel of John in chapter 1, you'll notice when John the Baptist is talking, he says, I'm, gonna, uh, or I'm the one who comes before. Uh, I baptize you for water repentance, but there's someone who's coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I think this is a physical event to say, remember, who is it that baptizes you with the Spirit? Jesus. He's the one. It's his work. It's his gift. It's his, underst- it's his, it's his activity in our lives. That he is the one who will baptize or baptize you or bring you under the influence of the Spirit. That word baptize, we get all kind of goofed up about it. What does that mean? Baptizo is the word to me used to sink a ship. <laughs> when it got baptizoed, it sank. It means to come under the influence of the water. And he's saying, you receive the Spirit. You come under that influence. So Jesus makes this matter, I think, to say, hey, remember what John said. I'm the one who baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. It's me. It's my gift to you. Receive. You don't achieve this. You don't pray enough. Again, I grew up in a tradition. They'd have all night prayer. They'd, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything wrong here, but they talk about you have to pray through. I understand that. I, I get some of that. But when that thing of praying through means I'm trying to twist the arm of God off to give me something I desperately need that unless I have, I can't live the Christian life, goes completely contrary to what I understand about God's nature in Scripture. Does God want us to have the presence of the Holy Spirit to give us power to live? That's crazy talk, isn't it? To think that God is hesitant. Now, it may be, again, there's internal work that we have to do. Like A.W. Tozer, in his book, Received the Holy Spirit, made this statement. He said, most of us really don't want the Spirit. We want the results of the Spirit. We want joy and peace and happiness. We don't want to be directed. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to have to live our lives in such a way that Jesus would direct it. We don't want that. So maybe there's a time for internal work that has to happen. But there's a thing where we have to say, look, am I, really, am, I, am I serious about this? Do I really want this? Are you kidding me? But Jesus said, and he breathed on them. This has to be somewhat, you can look at this again as well, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. This pneuma, this breath. Remember what in the, in the uh, uh, creation account, and God breathed into Adam the breath of life. That's the same word for spirit. Genesis 2-7, God breathed on these creations and they became living. I think John and Jesus are in one sense or another bringing us back to another creation story. There's going to be a new group of people on this planet, a new group of people who've had the breath of God breathed into them, breathed into them to bring about new life. Now, this is why I'm stopping here, because it's going to take a while. 
The last one, <clears throat> we don't have it on the PowerPoint slides here, is what they will need to do. Look at verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. And we have to deal with that. Those are in red letters in my Bible. What does that mean? What, what, what is Jesus, if you will, again, in these resurrection realities? What's he saying here? What, what is the point? We're, we'll, we'll pick that up next week. But I want to ask you today as we end here, what of the realities do you need? What do I need? Do you need to hear? Do you need to know? Do you need to know? Do you need to receive? Those are, those are personal questions, personal diagnostic questions. Say, which, which one of those? Maybe all of them, I don't know. But which one of those do I need? Which one of those do I need? That is a resurrection reality that we have to face. Let's pray. And now, Lord Jesus, would you take your word, not mine, your word, Bring it to our hearts. May the living word take the written word that might be a reality in our lives this day. We want your life for ours. Guide us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We'll pick that up next week.